When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Length, nothing personal, word of the day. Good morning. It is Wednesday, May 24th, 2023. My word of the day is length, as in length of contracts. I spent the better part of yesterday wondering where it all went wrong and wondering whether I had anything to do with what's going on in baseball and the fact that players are getting these long contracts of 10 years or more and then stinking, either being hurt or not performing. And I was thinking back to the Giancarlo Stanton contract and understanding exactly why we went to 13 years. And we went to 13 years because he didn't want to sign with us long-term and we needed to sign him to change the narrative around our team that we were able to keep players. And so I just said to him, what if I went to 13 years and you were taken care of for the rest of your career and he hadn't had one at bat since he got hit in the face? And he said, I won't be able to say no to that. And I, it wasn't the first contract that long though. It was the first contract that long. How can I say it both ways? There were long-term deals that were 10 or more years at that point, as I recall. I know there had not been a 13-325. Now I look at this past off season and I'm looking at the deals that are signed. And we talked on the show, a previous episode, that my issue with length is that it's being done by teams in order to flatten out the luxury tax implications of these deals. And you take the AAV of a deal. If you pay 100 million over 10 years to a player, that's a $10 million per hit counting toward your luxury tax bill or your luxury tax payroll. Even if you pay him 25 million a year for the first four years and nothing for the last six years, it's still 10 million a year. So teams are incentivized to go long. And what they do when they go long, by the way, go back to the beginning and I can tell you Albert Pujols before Stanton had signed that long deal because we offered it to him. That's funny. Anyway, going back, when you offer players a deal into their late 30s, early 40s, you know very well, oh, Cabrera, I could keep going. There are a ton of players who had these long deals that were terrible at the end, including Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera this year. You are okay with it because you wanna get performance early. The whole key is when you sign players to a 10-year deal, is that the first five, the first four, you better get performance on the field by the player and you better get winning by the team. This offseason, I said to you, the number one contract signed for this season was the Trey Turner deal to Philadelphia. That makes them the most improved team. That helps them the most. Don't, don't talk to me about later in the contract because I still think it'll be bad, but for now it's gonna be good. 
We'll reevaluate after. So I was reading Trey Turner's comments yesterday. And as a team president, I don't want him saying it. I love when players own their mistakes. I love when they own their performance. I love when they flex the good and acknowledge the bad. But when I've signed a player to a deal and that player's not playing well, I'd rather not draw attention to it in any way whatsoever. So Trey Turner tells us yesterday that he sucked and he has, he's been terrible and he acknowledged it. And the Phillies are underperforming and Trey Turner at the top of the lineup who was supposed to lengthen the lineup and just be an amazing addition has been one of the problems. So the Philly fans, which they're famous for, they have been booing Trey Turner, which is unbelievable to me. Although I, I always was okay with fans booing our players. I get it. They're booing them for things they do on the field, sometimes for things they do off the field. They've paid the money. They have the right to show whatever emotion they want as long as it is booing. And that's all it is about performance on the field. And that's all it is. That's a little Easter egg for later in the show, but that's fine. But when you have celebrated a signing and you are before Memorial Day and the player's off to a slow start, it gets accentuated to the point where it's a segment on the show. And it's a segment on the show because all of the fans are upset, not just with Turner, they're wondering whether or not Devers is gonna be good or Bogarts or Correa or all the other players who signed these big free agent deals who have all underperformed so far. And the interesting thing about them underperforming is that that is in no way correlated to whether or not they are going to be worthy of the deals they signed this past off season. There will be stretches each year that a player has a two month stretch, Bogarts hitting 188 in May. Finally got his first home run of the month last night, actually. Padres, as you know, the most disappointing team. Devers having a difficult, difficult time. Every player has that during the course of a season. Why is it that fans overreact and that bleeds into the front office? The best front offices ignore what fans are saying or what's happening on Twitter or panic that can happen with a player. The best front offices are willing to stay with their evaluation until their evaluation is proven to be wrong. An evaluation is not proven to be wrong by any two month stretch. A two month stretch can be the straw that broke the camel's back because it comes on the heels of a two, four, six, eight, or 10 month stretch. But if you've got a history of performance and then you go into a period of lack of performance, it doesn't change the evaluation. We talked a few days ago about Juan Soto. Has his evaluation by the Padres or by any other prospective team changed by his lack of performance leading into the month of May? Or do you hold on and see that in May, he's back to being the Juan Soto that he's always been 
And so now he's back to being worth what he was always worth. We try not to blow with the wind like that. You know, Bob Dylan didn't run a baseball team. And the reason he didn't run a baseball team is that fans can't run the teams. Not because of emotion, not because they don't see what we see or they don't look the way we look or they're not as smart as we are. That is all poppycock. The reason why fans can't run the team is the same word that I use on every outlet, every time I'm on the air. It's about emotion. It's about recency. And guess who acts a lot like fans? Owners. That's why you get these contracts in the first place because they so badly want to get the player. They so badly want to be famous. They want to get the big off-season signing. They want to win the off-season. Then they're so quick to change their minds when the player's not performing for a period of time that when you're an executive, you've got to be flatlined. So I don't think the Philadelphia Phillies are upset with Trey Turner or with the signing or the Red Sox re-signing Devers or the Padres even taking the chance with Bogarts. I think the Padres are upset that their payroll is so high and their team is losing, but I don't think they're blaming it on Bogarts. Even the Minnesota Twins look at Carlos Correa. Side note, Coca, Carlos Correa did something yesterday. Did you see this, Matt? Carlos Correa actually came out and said when the Twins were playing the Giants, where he signed that 13-year deal, and then failed the physical, and he's not on the Giants, and Scott Boris saved the day by putting Michael Conforto on the Giants, which we said will be the worst off-season signing of all time, and it is. Carlos Correa came out with a straight face and said, I didn't even know if I wanted to play 13 years. Six years is a way better contract amount. I'll reevaluate after six years. I may want to be a full-time father. <laughs> oh my God. How do you think the Mets and Giants feel right now? Of course, what you do is you rationalize and you say, we feel fine because if you were a Met or a Giant, he would have wanted to play the 13 years because we have such a great city and such a great team. They would never allow themselves to say, wow, I dodged a bullet, which is what I told you they both did with Correa. I dodged a bullet. Why would Carlos Correa even say that? Because he wants us to believe that the six-year deal is what he wanted in the first place? Give me a small break. So these players sign these deals. Garrett Cole signs the nine-year, $324 million deal. We're four years into it. The other players I described were one year into it. Now we're four years into a Garrett Cole deal. Are you all willing to say that the Garrett Cole deal was a good deal? You ready to evaluate that? Garrett Cole getting his 2,000th strikeout? Third fastest pitcher. That's what they're going to, you're going to see all day today. Garrett Cole, third fastest pitcher ever to 2,000 career strikeouts. Who cares? Who cares? Give you a list of the people who have 2,000 strikeouts. I really don't care. When you sign a player like Garrett Cole, you give him nine years as a pitcher, over $300 million. It's not that you want strikeouts, you want wins and you want rings. How's that worked out? If the Yankees were telling you the truth right now, they would not tell you that Garrett Cole's contract has paid off yet. They're gonna tell you that he has performed up to the standards we expected. They will tell you that he has done everything possible in his power to justify the contract. 
It's just another rationalization. When they signed Garrett Coe, it was the full intent that they were going to win a World Series. I don't think these contracts, I do not think these contracts can be considered as working unless there's winning. And I don't mean regular season winning. But I think owners are finally going to get convinced by baseball. I can't believe I'm saying this because it makes no sense. The trend is your friend. Why would I ever say that owners will learn any lessons because they never learn anything. Half the year is spent trying to teach owners that these big deals don't work because the commissioner's office and the low revenue teams don't want anybody signed to these deals because it just leads to more competitive imbalance. I think this may be the year. There's no good free agents coming up in baseball except Shohei Otani. All these long-term deals, there's been a struggle so far right now, at least here we are in May. I'll do an official wait to see. How about this? Wait to see. When we tell you something's gonna happen, if it does, great. If it doesn't, great. Like a show earlier this week, we will revisit it. There will not be a 10-year deal next off season except for Shohei Otani. And I don't just mean free agents, so don't think that I'm being funny here because there's no unrestricted free agents who would warrant even close to a 10-year deal. There aren't gonna be even an Austin Riley type deal where he signed last year in August to a 10-year deal as a pre-arb player. I do not believe you will see even one 10-year deal in Major League Baseball other than Shohei Otani, wait to see. Length, it's a big issue until it's not. Length of contract is something that not only you figure out with players, you also have to figure out with executives. You figure it out with your coach, with your manager, with your GM. How far out do we want the contract to go? Where are we in our building period? Where are we in our history of our franchise? Length is also an issue with the commissioner's contract. We like doing commissioner's contracts of five years. You start, it's sort of, you do a five-year deal, you start the renegotiation in year three, the extension talks in year three, and then you get it announced so there's no lame duck year. You have a committee within the owners who does the negotiating, the compensation committee, but it's really all done behind closed doors. It's done in ways that the fans never see, that many of the owners never see. One of the great complaints that uh, a bunch of owners used to have is that Bud Selig would get signed to these deals and they had no idea because they were not among the FOB, which is the friend of Bud. So they had no idea what the vote even was. They would just know that he's being extended and then they'd be told the number, but not everything. But of course, everyone would vote for it because if you didn't vote to extend Bud, then you were done. You had no choice. Rob Manford is going to decide if he wants to keep being commissioner after his next deal. And I would tell you that I would assume he will. What about Roger Goodell? Something very interesting came out yesterday. Jimmy Ursay has been named the new spokesperson for the National Football League. Amazing that an owner would also hold the title of a mid-level, sometimes senior level, but a mid to senior level PR guy. Ever since the Daniel Snyder situation, it seems like Ursay is the go-to owner. 
This is not the guy you want talking on behalf of your league. Sometimes it is, and I liked when he talked on behalf of Snyder and how we'll get the votes to get rid of him. But about Roger Goodell, why would Roger Goodell want Jim Ursay talking about his extension? I want Jerry Jones talking about his extension because we know that there was an issue with the last extension and whether or not Jerry Jones was in favor. Roger Goodell is going to get an extension through 2027. The contract length that he's looking for is a four-year deal, four, five, six, seven. But what's taking so long and why it wasn't announced during the recent owners meeting is that what they're trying to work into the contract is that this will be his last contract and what role he will play going forward, what his annuity will be. It's like a personal services deal. The baseball players who sign, like Albert Pujols got this personal services deal with Anaheim or A-Rod got the personal services deal with some team. It's a way to get a player more money and what you do is once they're done being a player, you then pay them to make community appearances or pay them to be an ambassador. They want Roger Goodell to stay around. They want to reward him and they have to figure out how to word it, how to frame it. But what came out yesterday from Ursay got me thinking. The National Football League, when you add up the revenues of each of the teams, plus the national revenue that gets divided amongst the teams. It's a huge, huge multi-billion dollar company. Let's say they have revenues, baseball's revenues of close to $11 billion. Let's say that football has, I can't remember the number right now, Coca, say 18 billion, 20 billion, whatever the number is. It's gonna keep growing. This is big business. The commissioner's job as you've been told, because the media loves to promulgate this, is that the commissioner is a meat shield for the owners. The commissioner has to take all the bullets, a very unfortunate expression. The commissioner is the one who speaks on behalf of the owners. The commissioner is the one who negotiates with the players union for a new collective bargaining agreement. But truthfully, when I sit and talk to Rob before he became commissioner and after he was commissioner, he looked at his job and I agreed with him. He's the CEO of Major League Baseball. We have asked him to run our company and the owners are the board of directors. And the CEO reports to the board of directors. And then there's a chairman of the board which in theory is an owner on the executive council in baseball or a very powerful owner, let's say it's Jerry Jones in football, where the job of the CEO is dependent on the relationship with the chairman of the board. The chairman of the board has a way to get done what he, she, or they want. All of that is true. Why is it that there is one person doing the job of CEO of the National Football League and the job of head labor negotiator and the job of head protector of the owners and the one in front of the podium all the time, it's too much. These companies are now too big. These leagues are now too big. 
these leagues are companies. And what came out yesterday is that the NFL is considering, after Roger Goodell leaves in 2027, to split the job of commissioner. That will have two benefits. Believe it or not, two people doing Roger's job will get paid less than what Roger makes now. They will bring in a business CEO, someone who can run a company. Maybe it's a Fortune 500 executive. Maybe it's the COO of Disney. They will bring in somebody to run the league's business and pay that person a lot of money, let's say seven to $10 million. Then they're gonna bring in someone and call him the commissioner, someone who will be front-facing, someone who will be involved in labor, someone who will be involved in taking the podium every time there's an issue to make sure that there is gravitas. And I don't mean a figurehead, I mean someone with a recognizable name, someone who when he stands up, and I do believe it will be a man, but you never know, someone when they stand up, they are, I guess it could be Amy Trask. What do you think of that, Amy? I'm mentioning your name on Nothing Personal, even though we still haven't had you on the show. But you're someone who could be commissioner, who stands up, you have a level of gravitas, and you are there to do the business of the league, which is protecting the owners, working with the owners, understanding what it is to represent the owners. And you're working in tandem with a CEO, which you could be also, by the way, who is doing the day-to-day -day operations of the league. I think it's an outstanding plan, a necessary plan. And I think other leagues are gonna follow suit. The NFL is gonna lead the way and Roger, the Roger Goodells of the world, the Pete Rizels of the world, the Bud Seelig's of the world. I think it's going bye-bye. So we'll see what happens. Goodell's gonna get his extension, but after 2027, I think you're gonna see two people in that role. The evolution of leagues, pretty cool. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna review Guy Ritchie's new movie, and then we're gonna talk about what's going on in La Liga. I've let this story go for two days. I really wanted to see it develop further. There's been new information having to do with Vinicius Jr. And I'm gonna tell you a story about what's going on there that will make your skin crawl. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Matt Koch and I are here every day, 8 a.m. live. Thank you for joining us if you're here. Join the chat on our YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. We're also obviously the podcast that you've come to love and respect, and we thank you for that. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Keep doing it. Still watching a movie every day. After the Heat Celtics game, I'd already watched my movie for the day, but the new Ted Lasso came out, the penultimate episode. Ended up staying up till 3 a.m. Unbelievably emotional. We'll review Ted Lasso when it's done next week. But I got a chance to watch the new Guy Ritchie movie. I like your suggestions. Please keep sending them. Coca gives me suggestions way less frequently than you all do. But when Coca gives me a suggestion, I do it. I just, when you all give me suggestions, depending on whether you give me multiple ones and I've liked it, I'll put you on the list on my phone. But Coca, right to the top of the list. Jake Gyllenhaal and Dar Salim star in a movie called Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. I never really have been a fan of when it's the director's blank and that happens only in a handful of movies. To me, it's The Covenant, directed by Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie, you may know as Madonna's ex-husband or you may know him as Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, or Snatch, or some of the other movies, he's really good. The Covenant is a movie you do not need subtitles to. Yes, I admit it, I need subtitles for the majority of Guy Ritchie movies. I wanna get every joke, and to do it, I need to, very heavy accents. This is a story about a situation that has been happening way too often, where what the army does overseas, Afghanistan, Iraq, they need interpreters and they are trying to find weapons. They're trying to find Al-Qaeda, whoever they're trying, whoever they're trying to find or whatever they're trying to find. They actually hire local people who basically sacrifice their lives to be interpreters for the US military. They're looked at as traitors because They're basically spending the time trying to get their own people caught, or that's what Al-Qaeda would have you believe. I was fascinated by this movie. And it's not the only movie of this kind where you have a translator and they're involved in a horrific situation in a country. Yeah, I can call back to The Killing Fields with Dr. Hang S. Noor, who won the Oscar for that, a true story of The Killing Fields of Cambodia. What interested me most about this movie is the way Guy Ritchie decided to tell the story. There were shades of thank you for your service. There were shades of a veteran in Jake Gyllenhaal 
trying to figure out how to do right by somebody who did right by him who is not able to take care of himself. The reason I ask you to watch this movie, it's not an Academy Award contender. It's not gonna win any Oscars, be nominated. The reason I'm asking you to watch Guy Ritchie's The Covenant is to at least give thought to what goes on overseas while we get to do things like nothing personal and watch sports and all the different amazing things that we get to do. Knowing that there are people protecting us overseas, and we talk about this not often enough, who are protecting us overseas so we can do everything we wanna do, and they are putting their lives at stake, and I don't just mean life and death, I mean their mental well-being, their physical well-being, every single day. So let's take a few moments just to appreciate that. I don't really understand this is, this is a very tough subject that we're about to talk about. And anytime you have a microphone, especially in 2023, there is risk. I wanna take time on this show to let you know how much I've thought about the topic we're gonna talk about, the risk in talking about the topic, because anytime you talk about racism, you are running the risk of either not being sympathetic enough or being overly sympathetic, not being able to understand it because you are not in their shoes. Whatever the case may be, this story cannot go untold anymore. We don't pay attention as much to overseas football, but it's getting better, no doubt, in terms of American awareness of the most popular sport in the world, which is soccer, they call it football. We believe that the sun, the moon, and the stars revolve around the National Football League, but they don't. We believe that Major League Baseball is the national pastime. Maybe it is, certainly not the international pastime. All these other North American leagues are trying to, or American leagues are trying to get a foothold in Europe. But guess what's already there? Soccer. Unfortunately, what goes on there is what we have always wanted here, but never considered the downside. And I'm guilty too. I went to a Manchester United Liverpool game and I thought it was the single most unbelievable sport event I've ever been to. I tried to bring that emotion back to baseball. I was still working at baseball at the time. And all I said is, it's never gonna happen. Yankees, Red Sox is not even remotely close. Dodgers, Padres, none of it can approach Man U, Liverpool. The passion of the fans, the engagement of the fans. There's an entire show, Ted Lasso, about the ups and downs of a fan base, how this is what they live for. But I cannot comprehend or excuse Racism. Don't turn off the show because, oh no, it's gonna be another woke segment about racism. This is about fans who believe that they're exhibiting their passion, their loyalty through chance, through monkey chance, through absolute racist behavior 
and that's what we want to mistake as passion that we want to emulate? Vinicius Jr. is a 22-year-old kid. Maybe the face of Real Madrid, maybe one of the top five, I could argue, although I don't want to argue with Coca or Witty, but top five, top 10 players playing right now in the world. There is a chance that Vinny is going to tell Real Madrid, see you later. He is a Brazilian player who he said, and now we have video proof, has been the subject of racism day in, day out throughout Spain. The allegation was not made this week for the first time. He's been talking about the way he's been treated for his time in Real Madrid. For the first time, however, he has come out, or the first time that I focused on it, which may make it even worse, by the way. He came out after his last match. There was a 10-minute delay in the second half. Vinny was calling out a fan the way sometimes here in America, we call out fans for saying things or for swearing or we want them ejected, except not even close. We talk about how fans in Boston can be difficult. Players talk to us about what happens when they're standing. Black players on my team have come out and said they've been the subject of racist chants by fans in different cities. It exists here significantly. But what's going on overseas is way worse. And I don't want to play the compare game. But when you've got a situation where a player is telling you that there is not a fan base, but it is a country, all generalisms aside, a country that has shown nothing but racism toward him, do we stand up and listen? Or do we victim shame? The president of La Liga decided to do the latter. And I am calling him out today because when you double down, which is what he did, and you don't acknowledge the problem that you have, that means you are the problem. I just want to read to you what he said. He said that neither Spain nor La Liga are racist. It is unfair to say that. Racial insults have been reported nine times. Only nine times. Eight of them, of course, were against Vinny, by the way. We identify the madman and file the complaint with the disciplinary bodies. We cannot allow the image of a competition that is above all a symbol of union between peoples to be tarnished where more than 200 black players in 42 clubs receive the respect and affection of all the fans every day. And racism is a series of isolated incidents. Did you see the video of all the chanting? Have you heard what Vinny's been telling you, not just in the game against Valencia? You don't see the issue when one of your best players is ready to leave the best team in arguably the best league. We can argue EPL, the league, you can argue whatever you want. 
you're not then willing to acknowledge it's not about isolated instances? When you've got the coach, the manager, excuse me, four, six, nine. When you've got the manager of Real Madrid, who's coming out, not just supporting his player, but acknowledging that he's not gonna talk about the match. He's gonna talk about the fact that what the way Vinny is treated, it cannot happen, but it happens all the time. What do we do? How do we handle it? When you have a player that comes out and says that racism is normal in La Liga, when the Spanish Football Federation doesn't do anything about it. What do you do when you're that league? You're not even gonna believe this when I tell you. Here's what they decided to do. It's, this is amazing. The Spanish Federation sanctioned Valencia for the behavior of their fans in that game against Real Madrid that was stopped for 10 minutes where Vinny got a red card, which was later rescinded because of course, VAR did not, VAR did not actually see what happened. But here's how they're gonna eradicate racism in Spain. They're gonna do a partial closure of the Valencia home stadium for five matches this season and next season. And they're gonna fine him $48,000. OMG, racism is over. The deterrent is upon us. These teams are going to pay attention to the behavior of their fans in ways they never have before because of this unbelievably large fine and this amazing, amazing punishment of closing part of the upper deck. I grant you, they sell out. It's not like closing the upper deck of Marlins Park. They sell out in Valencia. There is an amount of money they lose in food and beverage and parking and everything else. Merchandise, maybe not parking. What do you think Valencia is thinking right now? Are they thinking that we're being blamed for things that happen all throughout Spain? Or are they saying that this is barely a slap on the wrist for what we know happens because we're not deaf, we're not dumb, and we're not blind? When will be the moment? We've asked that in the United States. When's the moment for the social reckoning? When's the moment that racism or tolerance finally wins the day and racism loses? How do we actually turn around hundreds of years of born racism? I told you that the way you do it is by generations actually not being racist. So not able to pass it down. Somebody's gotta start. But when you mask it, that it's emotional national pride and pride about your team, there's no way to end that because the pride and the emotion, that's never gonna go away as it relates to sports because there's money involved, there's national pride involved, there's the feeling of beating your chest when your team is good. Yet those people believe that they can exhibit their loyalty with these types of chants and this type of behavior. Maybe the problem is that those people are that way outside 
the stadium. Maybe those people are racist, not just against Vinny, but they're racist, period. In which case, we have a chance to eradicate it if we can stop the generations passing on racism. What if I'm wrong, though? What if what sports does overseas is bring out the worst in people and not the best? Damn, that is one of the scariest thoughts I've had because all my career, I was trying to make people more emotional. I was trying to make people more accountable, more involved, care more. For them to manifest that care and that emotion in this way, that may make one of the top players wanna leave altogether, we've done it wrong. They've done it wrong. There's not one thing I can say on this show that will make things better in Spain that will make things better for Vinny. I wanted to draw your attention to it because I was hopeful. I was hopeful that you would see what they do there and recognize that we don't wanna be them. Maybe that's what we can accomplish together. Nothing personal pick of the day. We're back to 500, 78 and 78. We lost twice last night. We had the Braves over the Dodgers and we lost and we had the heat over the Celtics. Did you watch that game? It's a make or miss league. Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum told you that after the game. The Celtics were making their three-point shots. I made fun of Dave Portnoy before the show started or on Twitter yesterday. He did the video saying that game four is a must win for the Heat, not the Celtics. Because if the Heat lose, then all of a sudden the Celtics go home for game five. They win that, of course. Then all they have to do is win one game on the road, game six. And then the series is over because they're home for game seven. And all of a sudden they win the series 4-3. So all they have to do is win game four. It is absolute poppycock. I've said the same thing when down in the series or when a fan of a team down in the series. I understand that theory. It's just not accurate. 149 teams in the NBA have been up 3-0 and they are undefeated. They don't all sweep. 60% of them sweep, but that's still 40% who win in five, six, or seven. Do we think the Heat can all of a sudden stop hitting shots for three straight games coming up and the Celtics will play like they did in game four, which just means hitting shots and do that for three more games? If the Heat were the higher seed in this series and they were up three, nothing, and they lost game four, there'd be no panic. There'd be no question the Heat were gonna win the series. There'd be no discussion. But it's because the Celtics are down 0-3 and the Celtics are the higher seed and the Celtics are the better team with the better players and that no one's given any respect to the Heat that one game four win has now changed the entire narrative of the series. It's changed all the betting lines. It's changed everything. Where now people are expecting the Celtics to win the series as though all of history doesn't matter because the Red Sox beat the Yankees in 2004 down 03. Now the Celtics are gonna beat the Heat down 03 in 2023. It's not gonna happen. It's just not. Anyway, I did watch that game. How about Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown saying we just gotta get one and then they're in trouble. Maybe they were talking to Portnoy together. All right, what are we doing tonight? Did you see the Rays-Blue Jays game? If you're Rob Manford, 
can we change the subject for one minute, Coca? If you're Rob Manford and you see the game last night between the Rays and the Blue Jays, which the Blue Jays beat the Rays, the best team in baseball, the Blue Jays beat them 20 to one. Major League Baseball changed a bunch of rules about when position players can pitch. I would argue, and I have argued, that I don't want position players to pitch because I don't want position players to get hurt. But the real fact is that I didn't want players padding their stats against position players and then using those stats in arbitration or free agency as a way to get more money. Vladimir Guerrero hits a grand slam against a position player last night, but it just looks like one home run and four RBI. But it's up to me in the arbitration room to have to say to the arbitrators, this number of home runs were off position players. This number of home runs were in games where the team had a 10 run lead or more, or a 10 run deficit or more. We would come up with a new stat like meaningless home runs and we would never prevail because bulk pays in arbitration. The home runs and the runs batted in matter. You don't think that it's necessary for baseball to take a look at what goes on in terms of how players get paid Who's playing when? A 20 to one game, who's that fun for exactly? That said, the Rays don't care. The Rays front office, I, when I would speak to Andrew Freeman when he was back with the Rays, and I would talk to my own people too. Often a question is asked, do you like losing four to three better or worse than losing 20 to one. Do you like blowing a save better or worse than giving up five runs in the first inning and losing, going on to lose that game? My answer has always been the same and it will always be the same. They're equal. As a consequentialist, we lose the game. It doesn't matter if we blew the save. It doesn't matter if we gave up five runs in the first inning and lose five to one or five to four. A loss is a loss is a loss. That's why teams put position players in when you know you're gonna lose a game. What's the difference if they score nine more runs? Other than it makes the games longer, other than it pads the stats, other than it's not even fun to watch. How do you guard against it? A subject that has come up and has never gotten votes. And I'm bringing it up again. Mercy, the mercy rule. Why can't a team decide to lay down its king? If you're the Tampa Bay Rays and you are in your mind, analytically or spiritually gonna lose the game, you should have the right at any point in the game to forfeit, to lay down the king, game over. I want that rule. Guess why that rule is not going to happen? Because the players union will fight to the death. They will grieve it to the Supreme Court to protect the sanctity of nine inning games. Even though in COVID it was seven inning double headers, but that's totally extenuating circumstances. Because of what I told you, they want to get player stats. Guess who doesn't get hurt? in free agency or arbitration when they give up 10 runs as a pitcher, a position player. Guess who gets helped when they score 10 runs off a position player? Position players. 
That's a win-win for the union. I still think a mercy rule is better. The problem is it's bad for business. And it's just business. We'll be back tomorrow. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.